Hi, and welcome to this episode of Special Issue, Wiley's podcast about society publishing. I'm Anna Ehler. This week is Open Access Week, so we decided to bring you this open access story from the 2019 Wiley Society Executive Seminar in London. The Executive Director of the Society for Applied Microbiology, Lucy Harper, shared a short case study on their experience flipping one of the Society's journals to open access. Let's listen in. As Sarah just mentioned, I'm the Chief Executive of the Society for Applied Microbiology. Uh, We are a membership organization. We have around 2,500 members. 70-ish percent of those are located in the UK, and the remaining 30% are spread across 80 different countries worldwide. Our members are from academia, industry, and the public sector, and they all work on microbiology as it's applied to the environment, industry, and human and animal health. We publish five journals in partnership with Wiley. Four of those are currently hybrid journals, And the fifth is now open access, and that's what I'd like to talk to you about this afternoon. So the scope of our journal, Microbial Biotechnology, is to report advances in any aspect of microbial biotech and its applications. The chief editor of of Microbial Biotechnology um, has recently written an article around the value of microbial biotechnology per se, and I'd like to quote him from that article. Microbial biotech is a key knowledge-based bio-business that has applications in almost all aspects of life and society, and will be a major driver of enterprise and employment creation in the future, and hence significantly contribute to sustainable economic growth and full and productive employment and decent work for all. Um, Obviously, he's going to be slightly biased, but as you can see, I think it's um, in no doubt that that area is definitely a growth area. That chief editor that I was talking about is Ken Timmis, um, and he leads a world-class editorial team on the journal. It was launched in 2008 as an online-only subscription journal, but but access was provided free of charge um, when it was initially launched to build awareness and it gained its first impact factor in 2011 of around 2.5. In 2011, it was then moved behind a paywall, and at that point, um, we started to see the journal struggle a little in terms of readership and subscriptions. It's also important to note, I think, at that point that um, the trustee board of the society had been having, for a number of years, conversations around open access, Um, and I think had acknowledged that open access was something that morally that they supported very fully, but they also recognised that we relied on subscription revenue very heavily to enable us to deliver our charitable objectives. So after much cogitation and deliberation, the decision was taken to flip the journal to open access in 2013. At this point in the presentation, Lucy shared a couple of really dramatic graphs, which showed the impact on the journal's usage and its impact factor after it was flipped to full open access in 2013. She let the numbers speak for themselves, but since that doesn't really work here, I'll tell you about them. 
In the five years after the journal's first launch, full-text downloads never went much over 50,000 per year. In 2013, after the journal flipped to full open access, that usage number skyrocketed up to almost 250,000 full-text downloads, and in 2018 hit over 300,000. So open access created immediate and really radical growth in how many people were reading the journal. And Lucy also showed a table of the journal's impact factor going from 2.5 in 2011 when it first got an impact factor, and then that it had steady growth up to 3.9 in 2017. So not too shabby, and obviously no negative effects from the flip to OA. In some situations, there may be some financial risk for societies considering a flip to open access if a journal is already doing very well as a subscription title, and Lucy talked about that as well. And also, in terms of um, a financial risk, moving to open access wasn't really a risk for, for us, uh, because at the time that we were making these decisions, the journal wasn't making money for us at that stage as being a relatively young journal. And it wasn't until we actually flipped it to open access that it started to make profit for the society. In terms of its regional output, microbial biotechnology does differ from um, the other journals in our portfolio in that the majority of the output is from Europe, which we hope will put it in a strong position going forward. The decision to flip for us was relatively e an easy one. It wasn't a high-risk situation for us. The journal was relatively young. Um, it was, focuses on a very um, high-growth area. It had an incredibly proactive, high-quality editorial board at the time of the flip, and still does. Um, and so, and again, financially, it wasn't a high-risk situation for us. Um, but it has, flipping to open access has been a very positive move for that journal, um, and hopefully it will continue to be so. As the, to quote our chief editor, as he signs off his emails, on and up. So thank you very much. Lucy's story illustrates a couple of important things. First, no society publisher's experience with open access is going to be the same. So much depends on the discipline, on how much funding is available for OA, what part of the world most of their authors are from, and whether the field is philosophically on board. And even when society leadership supports open access in principle, as Lucy described, sometimes it takes some time for that to translate into decisions for the specific journals. When you do, though, the results can be pretty spectacular, and we have lots of resources to help our partners make decisions about OA for their journals, including a checklist, at the Society Hub on the Wiley Network, and we'll put links to some of those in the show notes. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. For Wiley, I'm Anna Ayler, and you can find more episodes and learn when new episodes are released by subscribing in iTunes or wherever you like to listen. You can get more news and information on society publishing from Wiley on Twitter by following us at Wiley Societies and on our website, wiley.com slash network slash society leaders. Our theme music was produced by Medine, and this episode was edited by Dennis Velasco. Thanks for listening.